it turns out that if we are able to experience awe, if we can learn even to become more open to experiencing awe and beauty, that can actually help make us more resilient for some of life's emotional blows. Which is, I think, a really interesting and original kind of concept that beauty can be an antidote to heartbreak. Welcome to The Open Air. This is Jesse Raisler, and you're listening to Open Air Humans, stories of how people have found a happier, healthier, more human life outdoors. Today we present an exploration of how immersion in nature literally changes our physiology and how microdosing awe can keep us more resilient against life's mental and physical challenges. All of this from award-winning journalist and author Florence Williams, whose books The Nature Fix and Heartbreak look at the actual science behind how time outside makes us happier, healthier, and more creative. In The Nature Fix, Florence travels the globe looking at how different cultures use nature experiences as a tonic. And in Heartbreak, she goes into the wild in an attempt to heal her own. This episode is brought to you by The Open Air Outpost, a new nature escape with luxury tiny cabin and glamping options just two hours northeast of the Twin Cities. It's a place where we made it easy to put into practice all the wisdom we've learned from the guests on this very show. You can even book unique experiences with some of them as part of your stay. Learn more at openairoutpost.com. Without further ado, Florence, I, I have to tell you that I've been excited to have you join us on Open Air Human since before we even had a name for the show after reading your book, uh, The Nature Fix. And I've got so many notes in front of me that I'm sure we could fill multiple discussions. But where I'd like to focus in today um, is that we've been honored by guests that have really interesting you know, stories and experiences that all reveal like, in some way, shape or form these same essential truths about time spent in nature um, that, you know, for hundreds, thousands of years have been often expressed in poetry and art and we feel them, but I love how your book brings so much interesting, like measurable science to a lot of these intuitive truths that many of us have felt, but haven't quantified. And it struck me that it's almost in the tradition of, um, you know, like Michael Pollan or Morgan Spurlock or even Albert Hoffman that you're you're kind of using yourself as a as a guinea pig to to do these experiments and see how these nature experiences through the different senses change your your physiology. Um, and I know as a result of this quest that you go on um, in the Nature Fix, you you come across a lot of really interesting or unusual scenes, at least by American norms. And um, I'm hoping, for example, um, in South Korea, you came upon. I think it's a group of firefighters that were suffering from PTSD. They were doing partner yoga and rubbing lavender essential oil into each other's yes, arms. Right. Can you can you tell me about the context there? So in South Korea, I went to visit what they call healing forests. Hmm. And these are relatively newly designated, um, you know, chunks of land. Um, and, and the radical thing there is that they're not being managed for timber or for recreation, uh, but really for 
mental health. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's it's a very, I think, refreshing way to kind of look at forest management and land management. So what does that look like? And it means that they have trails. It means that they have um, these facilities where groups like these firefighters could come stay for a few days. Um, they have ways of measuring um, kind of the benefits. So looking at people's blood pressures, you know, kind of most most basically. Um, but there's also some deeper science going on looking at, you know, stress hormone levels, mm. brain waves, and, um, you know, I think a whole bunch of, of questionnaires and things like that as well. So I was visiting one of these healing forests and came upon this group of firefighters. And, and when we saw them, they were uh, sort of arranged on wooden platforms hmm. and they were meditating or doing some partner yoga. Uh, and then, you know, I also learned that they had been having like tea ceremony and also even pressing blossoms, you know, and other plants yeah. and, you know, using these, these fragrances. I mean, it was definitely kind of a different view of masculinity in the woods than I think a lot of Western cultures are used to seeing. Yeah. And this idea of how, you know, nature experiences enter our consciousness through our different senses and the sense of smell. I hadn't really like considered that as much as how powerful just the sense of smell can be. And I know there was, there was some sort of elixir. I don't know if it was essential oils, but you were measured, like your blood pressure was measured and dropped something yeah. like 12 points. Can you tell me like what you were, <laughs> what were you uh, experiencing uh, through your sense of smell and what happened? That was in Japan when I was uh, interviewing Dr. Cheng Li, mm. who went on to write his own book about sort of forest medicine. And I think he specializes in the immune system. Oh, and what he's found through a number of interesting experiments is that in the presence of certain tree aerosols, um, so these are like the scented molecules, you know, that smell like a pine forest, basically. Mm. Um, because there are a lot of pine forests, the Hinoki cypress forests uh, in Japan, um, that we increase our killer T cell count. Hmm. And killer T cells are really important. Part of the human immune system, we use killer T cells to fight cancer, fight a bunch of viruses. Uh, the trees use these aerosols to ward off uh, infection and pests and fungus and stuff like that. And it turns out that they're apparently helpful for the human immune system. And, and we also know that when we smell anything, uh, it can be kind of a direct pathway to the brain. Mm -hmm. like our olfactory system just go, like goes right to kind of our brain centers. And it's one of the senses that can really quickly flip a switch in terms of our mood. So if we smell something that makes us feel great, it makes us feel great pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And it can make us feel calm. It can make us feel kind of, you know, revitalized, could make us alert. So I think sense, sense was a really fun one for me to explore. Yeah. And I didn't think about that. But of course, as you're walking through, especially a pine forest, there's pine needles on the ground. And, and as you're yeah. stepping on those, you're releasing, I'm sure, those molecules. Um, but it was so interesting to read how, you know, well, first of all, forest bathing in Japan and, and just how forests are viewed in South Korea and Japan. And I wonder if it has to do with, you know, they have such densely populated urban spaces that going to the forest is really meaningful. Um, and to the point where another interesting thing was that the Korean Forest Agency 
actually has a position, a staff position called a forest healing instructor, right? That's like part of the... Yeah, they have these rangers that are sort of forest healing rangers. Yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> and and have something called the the happy train, which can you, can you tell me what that is? <laughs> yeah, the happy train um, is a program. Uh, this one was in South Korea where um, school kids who are bullied... Uh, can actually go off to spend time um, in the woods. But interestingly, also on the train are the kids who are bullying them. Mm. And what they have found is that, you know, when they're all in the woods together for a few days, um, they get along much better. Wow. That's amazing. I've, and the fact that those systems are built into government agencies, schools, it feels like we're that'll eventually happen here. Maybe they're just a little bit ahead of us. Um, oh, shit. Would be nice. Well, speaking about things here in the USA, um, the uh, one of the other things I found interesting, you know, thinking about how our different senses are working together to change our body, our mind in, in these sorts of wild places, um, you also got to speak with uh, a division of the Park Service that I had never heard of, um, Natural Sounds and Night Skies Division. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. And our sense of sound. Um, and what that can do, because you don't often think about that when you're out until you, you don't think about the noises you're hearing until you, you're not hearing them, right? Especially those that live in an right. urban environment and get out. Yeah. I mean, when I, I moved from Colorado to Washington, D.C., and I ended up living pretty close to the flight path of Reagan National Airport, where there's these low-flying jets every 90 seconds. And, you know, our immune systems are very much keyed in to kind of, you know, produce stress hormones and, and kind of go into a little bit of a fight or flight when we're hearing loud mm. rumbling noises, you know, indicating perhaps a predator or a huge storm or, you know, something bad coming in. But interestingly, we know that we can actually feel a lot calmer and, uh, you know, engage more of our parasympathetic nervous systems when we're hearing a bird song, for example, mm. or when we're hearing um, the sound of water or the sound of wind. These are sounds that put us in a state of, you know, sort of calm at yeah. the same time. That's amazing. It's funny. I've, I've been dipping my toe and kind of getting more into birding as, um, and since last year we had a um, a barred owl actually nesting in our yard. Um, and ever since we saw that, I have a two and a five-year-old son and we had so much fun watching that baby oh, owl. And wow. since then I'm like, well, okay, there's a lot more to learn and see out here. And as I've been doing that and meeting other birders, it occurred to me, I've never met an unhappy birder. They seem like a very <laughs> happy lot. And I think it's probably no coincidence from hearing, you know, how these sounds like can change our mood as well. And it's amazing how it's it's all working together. You've got this olfactory component, what you're hearing, and then also the the visual, which I've recently just been learning a bit about fractals. In fact, the last episode we just um, recorded and put out, um, we were talking about fractals and what that visual does. And uh, of course, people think of like, you know, you go out in nature and these landscapes can be stunning or the beauty of the color of a sunset. But I'd love it if you could talk about this concept of, of like fractals, what they are and, and how they work on our mind to put us at ease and in that, that mindset. 
Yeah, sure. I found the science behind this also really fascinating. So fractal patterns are patterns that repeat at different scales, and they often exist in nature. So you might see them in cloud patterns or in you know branches on a tree, and then trees in a forest, uh, coastlines, you know, creeks, waves uh, on the creek. So um, when we when the human perceptual system kind of looks at these patterns, especially ones that the ones the ones that are found in nature tend to be cool because they're not too chaotic. Mm. And they're also not too boring. They they sort of seem to hit the sweet spot of kind of density. Yeah. And what are some examples like of of those? Would you say? Yeah, I would say um, you know like looking at waves, for example, you know, on, on on the coast or something like that. You know, we're sort of fascinated by them, but we're not overwhelmed by them. Mm. So there's this sweet spot of kind of interest. Uh, the psychologists call the soft fascination. It, it kind of rests our um, attentional network because it's not overly demanding, but it's interesting enough not to kind of like bore us and zone us out. And so when we when we look at these fractal patterns in this particular dimension, and there's kind of a ratio of you know chaos, I guess, um, of about 0.7, that seems to be kind of an optimal density for these fractal patterns in which we produce a certain kind of brainwave. Hmm that makes us feel kind of chill and kind of happy. And, you know, if you think about it, there's so many like screensavers that kind of have these fractal patterns right. on them. And you know that feeling where you're kind of like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, nature just naturally provides those right and left. Oh. And, you know, you have these, all these things working together, your sense of smell, sound, visual. And I'm curious, you know, I personally, one of my favorite things to do to get out and we've had foragers on the show, but um, getting out and touching and tasting as well. Yeah. And foraging is a great way to do that. I'm curious if you had um, experiences in those in those sensory realms on your journey at all. I didn't see as much about that, but. Oh yeah, I did. I mean, I really, I, tr I tried forest bathing, you yeah. know, or Shinrin Yoko, which is this practice that's being, um, culture popularized a lot in Japan and increasingly actually in the United States. In fact, I am now certified. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I, I lead these retreats now, these immersive retreats and, and we do, we, we kind of key in on all the senses because that seems to be a shortcut mm. to feeling, um, these, these kind of states of relaxation. Um, just even like, you know, sort of tasting the air, like what does mm. the air taste like? What does it smell like? Mm. I love doing tactile stuff, you know, like find things to touch, um, you know, feel the bark. Uh, you know, I also, I do a lot of um, crumbling of leaves oh, to, get, yeah. to get the smells, you know, I love that. And, 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 you know, if you know what you're doing, you can also start tasting things, um, you know, in the woods as well. I'd love to hear, like, what's a, a typical trip? Because I've never actually gone out with a certified guide or forest bathing guide. Like, what is that? Can you just like walk us through what that experience is like if you were to take take someone out? You know, I think different guides kind of put their own you know flavor on it, but but typically it's about a you know two or maybe three hour experience where um, it almost follows the architecture of a quest mm. in that there's this um, you know sort of um, phase where you're uh, just kind of shedding culture a little bit. And you're doing that by by really keying into tapping into all five senses, 
maybe taking um, you know 20 minutes or so to kind of do some exercises where you're engaging your you know, your the, the, the temperature, feeling the temperature of the air you know on your body or feeling the ground under your feet. Um, what are you smelling? What are you hearing? You know, are there some patterns? What's the light doing? And then you might issue some invitations. So, you know, um, you know, wander around at your own pace and just see what's moving in the landscape. What's in motion? Hmm. And then you bring them back and, and you ask people what they're noticing. And sometimes some really interesting observations and comments come up. And then you might send them on another invitation. Um, for example, um, you know, find a tree that appeals to you and just sit with that tree for 20 minutes. And then again, you bring them back and you say, what did you notice? And, and sometimes people just, they say the most astounding things. Do you have any, can you do any come to mind? Like when you've been surprised or someone's? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I recently went out with a group and a woman declined to share, you know, her experience at the end of that exercise, but she wrote me an, an email later. She said, I was just, was so overcome that I, I didn't really want to talk about it at the time, but there was something about smelling the cedar that um, brought up, you know, this pretty intense grief mm. from my childhood that I hadn't dealt with. Oh, wow. And in the presence of that tree, I felt really like that was a safe place where I could sit with this grief for a little while and, you know, just recall it and process it. And, you know, she said, I feel like 10 pounds lighter, 20 pounds lighter after that experience. That's, wow, that's amazing. I think it was, you know, it was, I think it was John Muir who said, you know, the forest gives you what you need. Yeah. I remember too, like I, I grew up in the country, uh, you know, near, sort of surrounded by farms. And I would always remember the the alfalfa when that was cut and that smell and to this day like if i smell that i am right back there and i was an only child so i was out there usually just me and the golden retriever um and it's amazing how yeah smell just brings you right back to some of those places It it really does i wonder if there are other things that you know you really went on quite a global journey here quest and i'm wondering what other things you brought back to your daily life from the experience of of writing that book that you still that you that you put into your 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 daily living now yeah i would say you know one of the things i really wanted to write about in the book was urban nature yeah because you know the reality is you know most of us do live in cities we have to be able to access and um you know feel a connection to nature where we are because that is our kind of bread and butter. If you if you, you know if you talk about nature immersion as being kind of a food pyramid, sure the wilderness expedition, you know that's the dessert, that's the tippy top. Mm, you may get that yeah. you know once a year or a few times in a lifetime. Um, but the bread and butter is kind of the nature on our street, in our backyard, in our schools, in our workplaces. Right. And so how do we better engage with that nature? How do we enhance it? How do we encourage through policy even? you know, better, um, recent, longer recess, greener schoolyards. What does the science say about that? And in fact, there's a lot of science showing that even things like the trees on your street have a significant impact on your health, mm. on your physical health, as well as on your mental health. Um, number of interesting studies there. So, um, 
I felt like having moved from Colorado to DC, those were lessons that were really helpful to me. Oh, yeah. You know, sort of optimizing the the connection, you know, to, to urban nature. And I feel much more attentive, you know, to urban nature. I I take my my flowers, you know, and my and my window views, even my house plants. I take this stuff a lot more seriously now. Hmm. And those are, you know, seemingly small things that can, I'm sure, add up to a big change in mindset. Are there other small things like like that that are just simple daily practices that our urban listeners could could take to heart? And... Yeah, there's one I talk about more actually in my next book that I just published. Perfect. Um, and actually, do you want to tell that... us what your your new yeah. book is all about, and then you can tell us what that practice sure, is? Sure, I would love to. Thanks. Um, the new book is called Heartbreak. A personal and scientific journey. And, you know, when I had written The Nature Fix, I was kind of looking at nature to, you know, boost our happiness a little bit, maybe help us with creativity, um, you know, help make us physically healthier. Um, but I wasn't really looking that much at sort of big trauma, big traumatic events mm. uh, until I had my own big traumatic event, yeah. which was my divorce. Uh, and that occurred really just after The Nature Fix came out. Um, it was really a devastating experience for me, mm. uh, 25 year marriage, you know, that ended, um, it was not my idea to end it. I really felt very lost and confused after, you know, being with my, my husband since I was 18 years old. Oh, wow. Um, and so I really felt myself leaning on the lessons of the nature effects mm. um, as I was trying to kind of learn more about the science behind why this kind of social pain hurts so much and you know how it changes our immune systems even wow. how it increases our inflammation um what we need to do to try to recover from that uh and how to be more resilient and so the the, the science i'd learned from the nature fix was really helpful but i also looked at some other you know kind of science-based um, solutions as well. Mm. But when you asked about, you know, lessons that I've taken forward, yeah. you know, one of them in terms of urban living is this practice of kind of, um, well, I talk a lot about the science of awe. Yeah. I participated in, it's called the North Bay um, Awe Study. And uh, one of the partners is uh, UC Berkeley. Mm. Uh, and the practice is, um, finding a couple of moments they call it microdosing awe mm. <laughs> where like you go out and you know you find something beautiful it doesn't have to be outside your house it doesn't have to be nature you know it can be like a really beautiful you know scrambled egg that you just made but the idea is that you're connecting to its beauty and you're sitting with it and and so i'll tell you this acronym you know, that they, they use, that they tell us, which is A-W-E. And so you take like two minutes, you, you find something beautiful and you just pay attention to the A. And then the W is you wait. So you basically sit with that moment of beauty. And you exhale, that's the E. Like, you know, a few times. So you're you're sitting with this beauty. You're just being mindful. It's just a mindfulness exercise. It's a few breaths. And if you do it a couple times a day, and I participated in a study, and the data that came back from the study 
you know, which had, you know, many, many participants, um, showed that it really did improve people's mindsets. It reduced their anxiety, made them feel um, um, that their life had more purpose. You know, it was pretty profound, actually. Wow. That's amazing. Microdosing awe. I haven't heard that and I'm in love with it. That's so great. <laughs> okay. That's, that's our, that's our big take home. Yes. Amazing. Um, I'd love to hear more about, about heartbreak. What else did you find on that journey? Because I, you know, nature is a healing element is a huge theme that, that we get into too. And I'm curious what your journey looked like. Yeah, it is. So because I was trying to find awe and cultivate awe, um, I felt like I needed well, in the nature fix, I go as far as kind of three days. I, you know, I, I, I look at the dose curve of, of kind of nature mm. immersion from from nearby nature to sort of more intentional visits to parks and stuff to three days in the wilderness. And that's kind of where I end the book. And I felt like with this heartbreak, I needed a lot more than three days. Mm. So I embarked on a 30-day um, wilderness expedition down the Green River um, in Utah, pretty much from very close to the headwaters to its confluence with the Colorado River. It's a couple hundred miles. And um, it. I spent four weeks on it. Um, I did half of the trip with friends and family, mm. including my kids, brought them on some sections. And then I did half of it alone. So I did this big solo wilderness trip, mm. um, you know, in this bid to, you know, learn how to be alone, right, in the wake of my divorce learn how to sort of paddle my own boat you mm -hmm. know the metaphors yeah. of nature and, and nature travel were so important and helpful um and i i wanted to kind of access awe and really have some time and space you know to reflect on you know how i wanted to move through this river of my life you know from one place to another well also sometimes that's hard to do alone actually because it's easy to end up kind of spiraling into negative thoughts mm. when you're alone, mm. I realized that I missed people. And and that was actually also a, a big benefit, I think, yeah. of this trip. It was like, you know what? I actually, I like being with people I love. Yeah. And um, there's a reason that we feel safe when we're with other people. And, mm -hmm. and there's, a, you know, we're wired to love. Our bodies want to love. And when we're alone, you know, there's something missing. Yeah. Well, we're definitely, we're going to link people both to the nature fix and heartbreak. And I'm excited to read heartbreak. Thank you for, for talking about that. I'm I'm curious if there's anything that you'd have our, our listeners take away in terms of, we talked about some daily practices. If you're in an urban area, um, looking for beauty, is there, is there anything else that you, that you'd offer for people to say, stay a little bit closer to nature, no matter where they live? Yeah, I mean, I guess the you know the two things, the two practices I would really focus on are one that engaging all of your senses. Mm. So when you go outside, you know, just cue yourself, ask questions like, "What am I hearing? Um, you know, what am I seeing in motion? Am I seeing any fractal patterns? Um, you know, what 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 is the sensation of the sun? You know, on my face. So little things like that that can really put you into a more embodied state and pull you out of your kind of thought cycle a little bit. So that's one set of little prompts that you can do, you know, even just on a walk around the block or sitting in your backyard for a minute. Yeah. And then um, the other is that microdosing off. I would, I would start with those. 
That's beautiful. That sounds like a really intentional way to immerse yourself. Yes. Into the natural world. That's beautiful. You can find The Nature Fix and Heartbreak from any major bookseller and read more of Florence's writing at florencewilliams.com, including a number of fascinating articles for Outside Magazine and a more in-depth study of fractals in an article for The Atlantic. She's also hosting a Nature Fix retreat in Telluride this July and a Journey into Awe retreat in Loveland, Colorado this October, both of which you can sign up for on her site. And today, an open-air diary entry from Marilyn, who recounts powerful memory of a childhood thunderstorm. My parents retired to southern Missouri and the Ozarks in northern Illinois in 1971. During one of my visits to their home in the Ozarks, my dad and I were sitting on their front porch just watching a gigantic thunderstorm off from the distance. The lightning strikes were so awesome that some just streaked horizontally across the sky and lit it up for several seconds. The sun strikes were so big and zigzagging down to the ground all at the same time. I could actually hear the sizzle of some of the strikes. It was so amazing to realize how small we are in this powerful universe and unable to control it but just be amazed to take it all in. When I was a small child, I was afraid of thunderstorms, but after this experience with my dad sitting on the steps, I could feel the power of the storm pounding in my chest and in my whole body. It was an amazing experience that I'll never, ever forget. Now I look forward to the power and the beauty of a lightning storm. I love the feel in my body when the thunder rolls so hard that it shakes inside my body. It is so awesome. Thanks for spending your time with us and sharing your life with us out here in the open air.